Galatians chapter 4. So if you have your, your electronic version of the Word of God, it's pretty easy to find. It's in the New Testament, kind of towards the end. Um, if, uh, if you know much about Scripture, you know that, that this is one of Paul's writings. To give you kind of a little bit of background, um, Paul, in the summer of 47 A.D., was on one of his four missionary journeys. He ends up in South Galatia, and he plants several churches there. And he is the missionary to the Gentiles, right? So, so the church of Jerusalem was blowing and going and really doing well. And so he felt called of God to reach the Gentiles. He was uh, by, by Christ himself. And so he is, he is planting all these churches. He, he leaves there he, after, he, after he planted these churches in South Galatia. And he heads back to Jerusalem to kind of report to them what is happening among the Gentiles. And there's a lot of excitement. But there's a group of people that are part of the church at Jerusalem that have distorted the truth and they are wanting to take the truth of the gospel and add to it Jewish customs and Jewish laws saying basically you can't just be a believer in Christ to have a relationship with God. You have to abide by all of the laws of the Jewish religion. So while Paul was in Jerusalem, they take off and they go to South Galatia. And they start undoing what God had done. They undermine the work of Christ and they attack Paul personally. And they attack his credentials. And the effect was that many of the believers in Galatia walked away from the faith. Many were disillusioned and discouraged. So Paul hears about this and he pens this book that we call Galatians, an epistle or a letter to the church of Galatia after he hears about all of this. Now, the group of people that, that went there are known as Judaizers. And the reason is they're trying to make believer, Gentiles, Jewish. And so he writes them this incredible book called Galatians. And, and just a little tidbit, if you want to study this further, Kyle Eidelman has a great study on the book of Galatians in Right Now Media. I'm not trying to like super push that. I get nothing for it. I'm just saying I've, I've, I've watched all of those videos, and there's even notes that you can download. And Kyle Eidelman has a great, um, is a great resource for studying the book of Galatians. But this is the, the book of Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. And if you know much about history, the Magna Carta was signed in 1215 by King John in England. Unwillingly, the barons got together and, uh, and basically forced him at Runnymede to sign this Magna Carta of English liberties that basically put all of England under law and everybody had to abide by it regardless of role or position. It was revised several times, right? But that's where it all began, was, was in 1215. And it is what we based much of our laws uh, here in America. So the Magna Carta is a big deal. It's, it, Magna Carta means great charter of, of liberties. And so that's kind of why this is called the Magna Carta of Christian liberties. And so as you read through Galatians, you get this overwhelming sense from Paul 
that, that all of this stuff that the Judaizers is telling you is just extra baggage, that you are free, you are liberated in Christ, and relationship that you enjoy in Christ is, 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 a, is a call to freedom. But I want to make sure that I mention something about Christian freedom. Christian freedom is not necessarily the right to do as you wish. It's the power to do as I should. And so just because you get to enjoy this new relationship and this freedom that you have in Christ doesn't give you a license to go out and say what you want to say and watch what you want to watch and do what you want to do. It is this freedom and this relationship that gives us the power to do the right thing. It's very much like, like when you get married. Like it, that relationship has some responsibility with it. So Galatians chapter 4, we're going to see this So this is well into the book, you know, we're in the fourth chapter now, and I want you to hear the frustration and the angst that Paul has as he is writing these believers after the Judaizers had come in and tried to undo what they had begun in their relationship with Christ. He says this in verse 9, but now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, How turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? Like, why would you go back to what you came from when you've been freed by Christ? You observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Do you hear that? It's like, why are you willing to listen to these individuals after you have known the truth? Why would you go heaping all of these other outsourced things on top of your faith and holding them up like this is what the faith is all about? He goes on to say in verses 15, 16, and 17, he said, where is then the blessedness you spoke of? Now that's kind of where we're going with all of this because he's saying there's something missing. You had Something beautiful. And now it's gone. Where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. More about that later. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. And then this is strange wording. He said they would exclude you that you might affect them. The idea is that, is that they wanted to make you feel like you were on the outside so that you would try and want what they had. Do you know people like that? They make you feel uncomfortable so that you'll try to be what they are. And Paul is, is trying to show them that these people have come in and tried to add to the beautiful relationship that they were now enjoying in Christ. And he's saying, but it's not having a good effect on you because look how you feel now compared to how you felt. Where then is the blessedness? And I love that word blessedness. It's the Greek word makarios. And that word has the idea of not just, it literally means beauty, but the idea here is that it means the beauty of life. Isn't that beautiful? Like, so Paul is saying, like, like when I was with you, there was this beauty to the relationship that you enjoyed in Christ, and your lives were beautiful. But now, they're not so much. 
And he says, where is that beauty of life that you enjoy? Like, you had that at one time. What have you done with that beauty? Where, where has that gone? And so that's, that's my question to you this morning. Like, where are you at? Where is that beauty of life that maybe you remember? Maybe it's in your relationship with your spouse or your children, or your relationship with the Lord. Where is that beauty? Where has that beauty of life gone? Because it, it, honestly, it's, it's probably not because your circumstances have changed as much as it is that your perspective has changed. So Paul reminds them, and we're just going to stick around chapter 4 and bounce around and, and get a couple ideas here from Scripture, but, but we're going to see some things that he reminded them of initially here, To give them pause, like, here are some reasons why you felt so blessed. And the first reason that he gives them is actually found in the beginning of the chapter. He he reminds them of their new position that they have. So so that new position is this, that we're free. We are are free. So here's what he says in in, in Galatians chapter 4, verses 3, 4, and 5. He says, even so, when we were children... We were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, in other words, when God was ready for all of this, God sent forth his son, that was Jesus, made of a woman, Mary, made under the law. So she was born in the flesh, born into this world to redeem, that means to buy back again, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So Paul is saying, listen, you, <laughs> you've been redeemed. You've been purchased. Your sins are paid for by the blood of Christ. He has been the ultimate sacrifice for you, and you are free from the bondage and slavery to the law. And, and just, just as a reminder, you know, when you think of the law, what do you typically think of? The Ten Commandments, right? That's what you think. Well, what, what, what the Israelites had done is they had, they had perfected that. So they had come up with 600 plus laws and rules that were designed to help you keep those original 10 laws. So like, so like, like you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Well, what, how do you define work, right? So they defined it down to the number of steps you could take. You had to cook your meals the day before, so you didn't, so that was work on the Sabbath. I know your wives are going, woo. But like they had defined it down to where everything was based on this religious system and keeping all of these rules. And what, and what Paul is saying here is like, is like that's, what we, that's what we were saved from. And I'm not saying that those are bad. And I think you should, should observe them. Like I think that there was some goodness there. It, it, it served its purpose to lead us to the place where we realized we need Jesus because we can't keep all these laws. And so we need Christ to set us free from the law. And that's, 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 that's what Paul is reminding them of, but you have been freed from that. And again, don't feel like because you've been freed from it, you don't have to do the right thing. It's just you have a different motivation now. You are free because you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we have a new position. We are free. Not only that, we have a new parent. We are family. 
So we are now the sons and daughters of God, as that song was saying just a little bit ago. So here's, here's all the reasons you have to feel blessed. He's writing to the church of Galatians saying, where then is the blessedness you spoke of? Because when I was with you, before I left, when I, when I was on my way, but we're heading back to Jerusalem, you were, you, were, you were super happy. There was a beauty to your life. You've been freed from the bondage of sin, and you now have a new father. And you have so much to have a beautiful life over, so much to be thankful for. Galatians chapter 4 verse 7 says this, Wherefore, you are no longer a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And we are sons of God. This changes everything. Because having a relationship changes everything. You say, well, you know, I was reading an article this week, and I'm not, I'm not trying to get on a rabbit trail, but it was talking about whether you should dress up for church or not. I'd love to send it to you if you like it. But one of the points made about dressing up for church and looking your best and all of that was like, well, like, you know, there's a dress code for the White House. And like, if you want to go see the president, you have to meet a certain dress code. And the article said, not if you're his kid. We are sons of God. And I do think that God deserves our best, and I'm not opposed to that. And if you want to dress up, that's great. But I think there's a lot more to it than, than you might be willing to admit to. But we are the sons of God, and it changes the relationship. We are daughters of God, and it changes the relationship. We're no longer servants. We are now children. It's not a religion anymore. It's about a relationship, and we get to enjoy all the privileges that being an heir of God comes with it. So we have a new partner as well. We're not alone in all of this. <laughs> we have a new position, a new parent, and a new partner. And I love this, that, that when Christ left, he gave us the Holy Spirit. We are not alone. And I believe the Holy Spirit is the most untapped resource for the Christian. He indwells you. He is there to encourage you. He's there to convict you. He's there to guide you and lead you. He's there to pray with you. He's there to minister to you. And he dwells inside of you. You are not alone. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 says this, And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And the idea is that there is, there is a beauty to having the Holy Spirit living within us. How good of God to give us Godness in our own selves to help us in this life that we live. What a helper and what a friend. So do you see what has happened? Paul is giving them all these great reasons to feel blessed, to have beauty in their life. And he's reminding them of the reason they felt the way they did before the Judaizers came in. They have so much to be happy about. But you and I both know that trying to convince somebody to be happy, it ain't, it ain't easy. Telling somebody that they should be happy is almost impossible. Telling somebody that they really have it pretty good doesn't usually work. No matter what you say, they tend to minimize the good and they magnify the bad in their life. But here's, 
You can't make somebody feel the way you want them to feel just because you see something different than they see. So how about let's just talk about you this morning. How's, how's your blessedness? Like, how beautiful do you feel like your life is? I mean, really. Like, how beautiful do you think your marriage is? How beautiful do you think your relationship is with your kids? And what I'm, what I'm, where I'm going with all this is like, I think at some point we've, we've swapped out the beauty of life for something else. So here's my question. Like, what did you trade it for? What did you trade out your blessedness for? And let me put it another way. With what have you been compensated so like you, you had beauty and you traded it for something else. Maybe you traded it for bitterness. Maybe you traded the beauty of life and that blessedness that you feel, all the reasons you have to be happy and you traded that for anger or despair or unhappiness. Was that a good trade? No. So, Eric, all right, I'm hearing you. How, how do I manage this then? How do, I, how do I get that beauty back? How do, I, how do I take that bitterness out and replace it with goodness and, and beauty again? How do I, uh, let, me just, let me just, you know, let you peek into the rest of the story here. It's on you. It's on you. Because I think, I think we have to understand that we have to stop waiting to be blessed and realize that we are blessed. Because here, here's the, th- the truth of the matter is we focus so much on the, on the anger and the sorrow and the injustice and the, and the way we've been treated. And you are right. It was probably wrong. And I don't even understand everything that you're going through. I don't understand that kind of heartache. I don't have those same health issues. I don't understand all of that and I don't pretend to. And I don't even pretend to be the best Christian in this room. I'm just the one with the microphone. So I don't know the answer for you. I just know that, that for me, perspective is everything. And sometimes I have to realize I am blessed rather than waiting to be blessed. Like, like God has already done it. That's what Paul's reminding them of. Because, because God didn't change in that equation. They allowed themselves to be influenced by people who weren't really telling them the truth who had an agenda, and they swapped out this blessedness of life that they had for something that was causing them to doubt their relationship with God, doubt their relationship with Paul, question their salvation, walk away from the Lord. Don't get there. Don't allow that to happen to you. Here's the the whole message right here. You need to live blessed in order to feel blessed. All right? You have a say-so here. You are not the victim. You have a say-so. If I will live a blessed life, (laughs) I'm going to feel blessed. So here's, you be the initiator is what I'm saying. All right? What what do you you mean, Eric? here's, Here's what I'm saying. Have a grateful heart. 
have a grateful heart. Begin to look at all that God has done, what all others have done for you. You've got a good life whether you realize it or not. And I know there are struggles, and let me tell you, there, there's nothing that hurts me more than financial pain or, or relationships with your children or a spouse. When somebody that close to you and there's angst there, there's something going on, and I understand that that is a difficult situation. But my encouragement to you is not to focus on that, but to begin to express gratitude for the goodness that you do have in life. So, so when we're right here, like, all right, so what have I been given? What do I have? What goodness is there in my life? A grateful heart, second, law, second, second of all, a giving hand. So what are some things that I can do to be proactive What does it look like to live blessed? (laughs) Be grateful. Give. Let me me tell you, so so when when you are, when you have the opportunity to bless somebody, you respond to that inner voice, that Holy Spirit, and you give a generous tip, or you're incredibly friendly as you walk through the checkout line, and you make them feel better, you know what happens to your heart. You feel better, right? That's what I'm saying. You act blessed and you feel blessed. And I'm not trying to, to, to humanize all of this, but I do believe that there is a biblical principle here. So remember that verse that we read earlier, that they would give their eyes to Paul if they could? I truly believe, I don't know what his thorn, I have an idea of what his thorn in the flesh was, he, he refers to a couple of times. But he, I don't know that it was his eyesight, but he, I do think that he had very poor vision. And there was something about his eyesight that was an issue that was noticeable. There was one book that he wrote, one letter that he wrote, and he said, you see that I wrote this book to you because you can see how large a letter I've written to you. So he on purpose identified the fact that, yeah, you can tell this is from me because I'm writing really big words. I think he had a visual problem. And so when he's with this church, they were so empathetic to him that they were, they were willing to pluck out their own eyes if it had been scientifically and medically possible. They would have literally given them his, their, their, they would have given him their eyeballs. Ouch. That's a lot of love. That's a lot of compassion. But there is something about having that spirit inside of you. Like when you really want to bless somebody else and you, and you are generous with somebody else and you are a giver, it does something to your heart. Why do you think the Bible says, ha it's more blessed to give than receive. There is something that it does to the inside of you. I'm talking about sacrificing for others. And let me, let me just mention this, and I don't mean just money, Time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, treasure. I think that money is part of giving, but I think giving of yourself, your time, and your abilities. How can you benefit somebody else? A giving hand. So, so how can I help? How can I help? What can I give? <laughs> that brings the beauty back. That brings the beauty back. There is nothing more delightful. Well, there's a few things. All right, that's an exaggeration. It's just a lot of fun to pay for someone else's check at a restaurant with them not knowing it and just watching their reaction. It's a lot of fun to to leave a a very large tip for a waitress who's working hard. I've seen it bring tears to their eyes. 
And there is nothing like that. It just makes you feel better. So we have, what have we got so far? We've got a gracious heart, a giving hand, and we have a loose toddler. <laughs> let's, let's pray for that young man right now. A grace-filled mouth, a, grace, a grateful heart, a giving hand, and a grace-filled mouth. Verse 14, I don't have it for you, but let me just read this to you. And though my condition was a trial to you, I don't know what Paul's condition was he's talking about. He said, but although my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. The way they interacted with Paul was so gracious. We don't know what his problem was, but whatever it was, it was not an issue for them. They had no problem with it. They just welcomed him in, and they were gracious to him. Let me tell you, words can kill and destroy, or words can heal and breathe life. And I'm telling you, when you use your words to breathe life into somebody else, (laughs) you're going to feel blessed. Not just a grateful heart, not just a giving hand, but use your words well. Try that in your marriage. Like use your words to express gratitude and thanks and compliment. It makes all the difference. It, 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 is, it is what brings beauty back into that relationship. Our treatment of others has an effect on how we feel, right? So how we treat other people will affect how we feel. A couple, couple phrases I read. The worst way to improve your world is to condemn it. And so you can go, go around pooping on everything if you want to. But all it's going to do is make your world stink, right? That was incredibly graphic. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's the way that we are. When we, just, when we just throw out just stuff like that, it's, of course your world's going to stink. Because you're the one doing it. Like you're the one making it that way because you can't help yourself. I'm just saying the worst way to improve your world is to worry about condemning it all the time. We don't feel better by treating other people poorly. We feel better by graciously treating other people and using our words to bring life into their... uh, Listen, kids respond that way. How about let's parent that way? And we build up our children and build their self-esteem. I'm all for obedient children. And you won't agree with me, but I'm all for corporal punishment. Pin drop. That's okay. You don't have to agree with me. I'm just saying it's like, I, I, and I believe in obedience and respect and telling the truth. Those are the three big rules in our family. You showed respect and you told the truth and you obeyed the first time. If they can obey on three, they can obey on one. They've trained you. That's not in my notes. I'm sorry. I'll cut it out of the tape if it makes you feel bad. So I'm all for obedience, but I'm also for building up your children. Like using your words to breathe life into them, even if you are having a frustrating day. And as you have grace-filled words and you're using your mouth to build up somebody, it's going to make the difference in how you feel. If you want to improve your world, be gracious. So here's what I'm saying. It's a choice. And what Paul is telling 
the Galatian believers is, there was a time when you enjoyed life more. There was a time when your relationship with the Lord was sweet. And it wasn't very long ago. Like, I just left. I just got to Jerusalem. And I'm hearing all this stuff about you. Let me remind you about all the goodness that God has shown you. And the good life that you get to live. And then he says, here are some ways that you can live blessed in order to feel blessed and get that blessedness back. Use your words well. Be generous with what you give to people and express your gratitude often. Because when you live blessed, you'll feel blessed. But it's your choice this morning. And I know you're thinking about somebody else. I'm thinking about you. I'm done. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how the scripture comes alive when your Holy Spirit can use that in our heart and apply it. Help us to use this today. Help us to use our words, our resources, ourselves to further your kingdom and to breathe life into other people. And help us to enjoy and seek and live in the abundant life that you promised and the beauty and the blessedness that you have brought into us. And I'm not saying we're not going to have hardship or trials or heartache. But that should not be the norm. Help us to trade all of that for the blessedness that you've promised in Jesus' name. Amen.